Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. going to ask you some questions about your dad. I'm a dad too, so. Yeah, I know, because you're a girl and you're a boy. That's right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Action! What is your dad like? He's funny. He's really funny. He's really funny. How is he funny? His dad jokes. You like his dad jokes? No. What are some funny things that your dad does? He claps really hard and... and Mom doesn't like it. He claps really loud. Yeah, like this. Wow. Wow. What is your dad good at? Working. He's really good at fixing things and building things. He usually goes to a fast food place to get his breakfast. What do you normally eat? Uh, biscuits and waffles. It's a lot of carbs. Is there stuff that he's not very good at? He's not very good at wrestling, I guess. Three against one. Yeah. He's not that good at hair. Um, I don't, I don't know. Oh, I thought you were about to. Was that a song you were singing? Um, no. Oh. What's something he's done? You're like, Dad is not very good at that. Jokes. Jokes. <laughs> is your dad pretty strong, dude? Yeah. Because he always goes to CrossFit every day. So he's a CrossFit dad. He's like, explode! To do he's that? Like, uh. Do an impersonation of your dad. I'm just going to rest my eyes. <laughs> is there anything that your dad has taught you? Nope. What, is it, what does he teach you? Fighting. Sight words. I copy him to do what he does. And yeah, you copy him. I just do stuff to make myself learn from him. What's your favorite thing to do with your dad? Snuggle and talk with stuffed animals. Go fishing. Play wrestle with me. When you get on his back, you yank us off of him. How does your dad make you feel? Special? Happy. He makes me hungry from his delicious food. He makes sure we're safe. It makes me happy. Yeah, that's what it makes me feel like. Good job, bro. Joy, happy Father's Day. We're here to celebrate dads today. Uh, four kids I have and seven grandkids, three more on the way. I'm 55 years old, and I just want to say that I am an incurable believer in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to be cured, Pastor Dale. We need the Holy Spirit. We sang about that, come Holy Spirit. And that's what we need today because I realize on Father's Day, there can be so many mixed emotions. And we are going to celebrate dads today. I want to give a word to challenge dads today, talking about being strengthened on Father's Day, being strengthened is fathers. We need strength in the culture that we face today. But, uh, you know, I, I realize even with wanting to celebrate, there can be so many even negative emotions because of heartache, because of rejection that you might have had with your dad, because of abandonment. Maybe you're a father today and there's some regrets that you live with and, and, and you're hoping for restoration 
in a relationship with one of your children. And so I, I get all these emotions, but I want to tell you that there is healing through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you walked in here today struggling with the will of God, you can have happen what Jesus happened for him when he walked into the Garden of Gethsemane and, and having to take on the sins of all humanity. And he said, Father, please take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Two wills walked into the garden and one will walked out. And you can be living with the peace and under the will of Jesus Christ. And so we love seeing miracles take place. And the biggest miracle, and maybe you're watching online today, sitting at home, maybe somehow you're tuning in and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can know him in saving faith today. And our heart is to see heaven full and hell empty. Amen? And so let's just pray over these issues. God, I thank you for every soul that's here. And God, we do celebrate Father's Day. We thank you for fathers. And Lord, every one of us is a human dad. We have gaps in our ability to parent and to be a father. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, that through your power, you would heal any of those gaps for people today. We're living in perilous times and the, the kingdoms are in an uproar all around us. The culture seems to want to mock your truth. And so, Jesus, we thank you for your truth. You never said that your truth would be painless, but you did say that your truth would set us free. And so we want to be set free today from everything that would keep us from your best. And we reject the spirit of fear, and, and we claim that spirit and the power of love and a sound mind within us. Give us patience, give us power, and give us strength as fathers today. In Jesus' mighty name, and the 8 o'clock service says, Amen. 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 Genesis 3, verses 8 and 9, there's this very unique thing that takes place after Adam and Eve sin, and they're ashamed of their sin, and their eyes are opened, and there's no longer the innocence from sin. They disobeyed God. And it says this, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And I love this, that we see immediately, even when man fails, God pursues in relationship. But the Lord God called to the man, Adam, where are you? Dr. Tony Evans, sharing on this verse, he says, to this very day, one of the dominant questions of today can be repeated and recited by asking, Adam, where are you at? <laughs> Adam, where are you at? That's the question as I travel of many young and even older single women looking for their Adam. And they can't find him. And they say, Adam, where are you at? And I heard Pamela Peterson giggling in the back, running my slides. The missing man has become the crisis of the day. It's the question that these women ask. She wants to know, where is Adam at? It's the question of the single parent, the single mother that's left to raise her, ch her child because she's been abandoned and rejected. It's the same question of that child. They're asking over and over, Adam, where are you at? It's been many years since I did active prison ministry. I used to go up to the prison north of Palmer and 
And I remember so many of those men there grew up in fatherless homes. Many of my uh, prison ministry pastor friends today say that they'll ask this question, how many of you grew up in fatherless homes? And 90% of the men incarcerated will raise their hand. And the question is, Adam, where are you? Where are you at? But maybe the most egregious thing in this passage is who has to be asking this question? It is God himself asking it. Uh, You know, if Adam can't be found by God, we shouldn't be shocked that we see Adam missing today. Now, God is all-knowing. He's omniscient, right? He knew the location of of where Adam was at. I don't think this was so much a question of location, but one of position. It's the question of positioning. Adam had abandoned his calling, his role, to cultivate in the garden, to be a protector, to not eat from the forbidden fruit of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now he's hiding from the very presence of almighty God. It's a question of positioning. Ezekiel 22:30. God says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall. There was a lot of males, but God was looking for a man to make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Plenty of males. There's plenty of males today, but God is looking for for a man, and I am just thankful for the man, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, that came to redeem the curse and to set us free and to empower us with his spirit. So tragic when a wife has to ask her husband every Sunday, hey, are we going to church today? It's tragic when she has to ask him, are we going to have devotions today? Honey, will you please get off the couch and go pray for the kids as they go to sleep. The land becomes cursed and destroyed when a man that should be standing up and building the wall cannot be located. And I believe there's a desperate need today. I, I know I'm starting off with a little hard, but remember truth is not painless, but it will set us free. But thank God, not only for truth, but for grace. And there's a desperate need to call males back to being men. Some of you ladies might be a little concerned with where this sermon might go today. Maybe some of you are pretty excited about it. I'm not sure. It's a position of priority with Adam. Adam was the one that was responsible. He was the first one created. He was the one that was first instructed about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And notice that God doesn't say to Adam and Eve, where are you? He says, Adam, where are you? Are you at? It's, it's, it's a thing of priority, of responsibility that God had given to Adam. It's like we have four children. Larissa, I just spent 10 days with her. She came down with uh, her two boys, and she's a pregnant mama. She was with us in Washington. We did some fun things. I helped her travel back up to Alaska. Um, you know, she was our first child. When we would leave those four children at home, when she was of age to babysit, we would say, Larissa, mom and I are going on a date. We're going out. Uh, just we we don't want to see the fire trucks coming for the house don't burn the house down take care of the kids you're responsible it's a thing of responsibility she was the oldest child the nba season just finished up and i know there's been lots of coaches (laughs) 
They're the ones that got fired at the end of the season if their players didn't play good. They don't fire the whole team. They fire the coach. He's the one responsible, even if the players played bad. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. He had a job. He had a purpose to cultivate what was in the garden. He was, giving a, he was given a job to do and a place to live. Single ladies, make it be known early in any relationship that you get into that if there is no finance, there will be no romance. <laughs> God gave Adam a place to live and a job to work before he was given a woman to love and lead. An irresponsible man is not worthy to be married. If he can't take care of himself, how is he ever going to help protect and take care of you and cultivate you. God gave him a job and told him to be productive and to be a cultivator. And that's from the very heart of God. And so I want to talk today for a little bit about having intentional relationships and the heart of God of what I believe God is still wanting to do today. Malachi verses, chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 says this, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore, or some translations say, turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. There is the heart of God is for this beautiful relationship that we have with fathers. And so men, I want to challenge you today with some relationships. I'm going to go through five types of relationships that we can have, and three of these that are so significant, so important. I was, I was asked to share five years ago in a breakout session at the missions conference on growing your capacity and leadership and being strong in ministry, and I shared some of these thoughts with intentional relationships. The first category of people that you should have in your life are what I call very resourceful people. These are fathers, these are mothers, these are coaches, they are mentors. I glean from them when uh, they're people that train me, they're people that when they speak and I get around them, their passion ignites something in me and I get excited and, and I want to be like them. And it's critical for any leader here today to have these type of people in your life. Got these, this picture I put on the screen of my dad. He's one of these very resourceful people for me in my life. And him and my mom, they just came to South America. I was down there leading a team from Arkansas and doing other ministry where we're planting churches. And, uh, and they came down. They were so excited. My dad was working on more training materials, and he wanted to meet with all of our evangelistic apostles. And, and he was down there, you know, writing more material, praying with the guys, using his own resource to bring them in from all over the jungle so he could impart to them for three days. 80 years old. He's an octogenarian. And I, you know, I'll be honest, I'm 55. And sometimes I think, man, I see these people. I, I met one in a motorhome RV park just a, a week ago with my grandkids. And they've been RVing, living what they say, living the dream for the last 14 years. And, you know, and sometimes I think, man, that might be kind of nice just to you know, check out here pretty soon. But then I see somebody like my dad going to India, going to Africa. Can't wait to get down to Peru to use his resource. And my mother, 81 years old, 
wrote a new book for the women in Peru and the villages and the tribes. And, and there she was as we had a big celebration night to honor them, to thank them. And she led all the women and dance and praise around the church. You and I need very resourceful people in our lives. Men, if we're gonna be strong, we need these type of individuals. Another man is Pastor Hal Santos. Got a couple photos of him. He, uh, years ago, about 12 years ago or so, he did the hike to Mike's cabin with me and just about killed him. He said it was the hardest thing he's ever done in his life by the time he got back. And we've had a great, we bonded over that great relationship since then. He's been, he's 11 years older than me. He's like a, a coach, a mentor. We do devotions Monday through Friday every week. We text, we phone call. I make it a point to see him a couple times a year. I, I've asked him to speak into my life, to say the hard things into my life. And so recently he's like, hey, David, I know we're doing these devotions, but I want to do a book with you. I have a feeling, I see some things going on in you. And so he says, I'll show this picture of this book. Managing leadership anxiety. I said, How? I, I don't get anxious. Well, I'm not stressed out. What are you talking about? He said, David, I, why don't you just do it with me? And I was like all irritated. I don't like the word managing. I thought it'd just be axioms and idioms, but man, I got into it. It was a deep dive into my soul. We've been two months going through the chapters one at a time. And man, I find myself discovering idols that have been in my heart. I discover childhood vows I've made. And, and anxiety is actually a gift because it shows you that there's a deeper root issue of something that's wrong that we can be changed through the power of the Holy Spirit. Truth isn't painless, but it will set you free. We need very resourceful people. We also need very, what I'm gonna call very important people. These are brothers, these are sisters, these are peers. They co-labor with me. They're people that I run with, you know, like in a pack. We're, we're friends, we're brothers, and they're not necessarily further than I am in my walk with God, but they're people that can sharpen me, and I can sharpen them. And this is a group, uh, the Blended Church, Pastor Dana Moira, one of my very good friends, and his whole staff, Pastor Damon, Sammy Sadik, a missionary to Egypt, uh, Pastor Phil Marquardt, who for years, when I pastored here at Church on the Rock, we were part of the Valley Pastors Prayer Network, and we would meet weekly to pray over this valley, and such a great, godly uh, man, a man of God, and even got to get my daughter-in-law's dog on the trip somehow, and he was in my, my boat. But, you know, to, to, to do things with men like this and, and to live life together, and uh, we need these very important people in our lives. You know, a brother, somebody, a friend, they can tell you, hey, there's something hanging out of your nose. Deal with it. You know, they can say, hey, I, I'm gonna be hard on you, you know, what you're doing is destroying you and everybody around you. Stop it. Knock it off. Get help from Jesus. We need men like that. Last year, this picture here, we are taking this video. Joe remembers this. I, I just, about two seconds after this, my good friend Marty Sloan finds out from John Walker that he, who is very freaked out, very, very uh, germaphobe guy, doesn't want to eat any kind of weird stuff, discovered that he had eaten lynx the night before and bear sausage for breakfast. And uh, his fears of trigonosis were being dealt with. You need brothers like that that can prod you and poke you, can have fun. Here's the pastoral staff, some of the guys. I see Pastor Dale in there. and uh, the, guy, the, the pastors of the, of the whole group, even Tim was there and Pastor Steve. And, and so we need these kind of men in our life. Pastor Mike Sloan has been like an older brother to me, took me to Nepal and 
drug me around the mountains of Nepal, the Great Himalayan Trail for seven days, about killed me, but I survived. And then really the most important person in my life, Lorraine. We need very important people in our lives. We also need a third category, what I call very teachable people. People that will receive from me. Those are sons, those are daughters, those are son-in-laws, those are disciples. Even in this context, those that we would minister to, like the widow and the orphan and those that are in need, but to be fathers to others, but we need these relationships. And I got some pictures of my grandkids. These are, uh, we're, I know we're having a, a, a real set of twins, but these two guys were born two days apart, Abel and Jameson, and they were wearing the same outfits, and I got to just hold them, and there was Declan and Daxton as we were out at the Safari Wildlife in Oregon, feeding animals, going through that park. And, you know, we need to, that's, that's why we're, that's why Lorraine and I want to come back to Alaska, because of this, this sense we have of purpose that we want to pour into our grandkids. We want to be a blessing to them. This is uh, our interpreters and young ministers and leaders in Peru that guide many of the teams, and a couple of them have their own ministries that they have apart from that. But we need to have people that are our disciples that we train and that we pour into. A couple more types of people. There's the fourth category. I call them people that like you. They're the Facebook likers, you know. Um, and sadly, some people can have 5,000 Facebook friends, but not one or two genuine friends that you're intentional in doing life with. They're people that'll be nice. They're wonderful people. They'll come to the pastor, you know, after he preaches, and they'll say, man, pastor, that was such a great sermon. Well, hey, what spoke to you in the sermon? Oh, you know the whole thing from beginning to end. All the scriptures were great. Well, what scripture spoke to you? Oh, you know, I just loved them all. Hey, I got to go get my kid out of the nursery, and I'll see you later, pastor. And, and the reality is we can only have so much quality and a lot of intentional time with, with, with a handful of people, and, and there are going to be a lot of people that are just casual acquaintances, and we like each other. Then the fifth category, these are the people that drain the life out of you. I call them life suckers. These guys, man, it's like they war against everything that is in my soul. They drain the energy out of my life. They try to place demands. They're always critical. Everything's always a problem. Uh, they'll let you know everything they don't like and rarely give you any encouragement. They believe they truly have a gift of self discouragement and discouraging you as well and they're not generous they're stingy you know they got alligator arms if you go out to eat and and buy something at the restaurant and so i want to say this let's draw a line and separate these categories and i'm going to suggest to you that the bottom category is people that you will spend your life your time and your energy on now when you spend money you can like what you spent the money on but once that money is spent it's just gone if that thing is consumed. And, but then there's investments. And I want to say those first three categories are people that you invest in. And when you invest, there is a hope and there is faith for a return on your investment. Solomon said, cast your bread on the waters and after many days it will return to you. He was talking about the ships that he would send out. 
going as far down, they say, as, as possibly Sri Lankan around India. The Bible talks uh, about the cities, city Ophir, that he would receive back every three years this cargo, this haul of sandalwood and peacocks and apes and all these things. And so I want to ask you, are you investing your life intentionally into relationships? Those relationships make you stronger in your faith. They help you grow in your capacity and they help you bless others. Be somebody that invests in these type of relationships. I always, Dave Eubank always says, we can live your life like this with a closed fist. What's mine is mine and you're not getting it or we can live it like this. What's mine is yours. I wanna invest and bless you with my life. So maybe we need to sit down and, and say, who are these people gonna be in my life? Who are they? These categories actually have names. Who are your fathers, your mothers, those people that coach and mentor you in your life practically and spiritually? Who are you running with as a pack? Brothers and sisters and those that you can do life with and, and share the, the struggles you go with. And who are you investing in yourself? Who are you blessing and reaching? It's imperative that we are intentional with our lives. You know, sometimes you can even help those that are fathers to you and, and mentor you. Years ago, the, the Lord spoke to me and said, David, I want you to help your father finish well. And that's, that's what I've been doing. I feel like part of my assignment is, man, dad, I just want to help you finish your race on this earth as good as you can do. We have those relationships with kids. My son, Colton, he texted me this morning, right when I got here. He said, happy Father's Day, Papa. Thank you for showing me what it means to be a man and to be someone I've always looked up to. I'm excited for the hunt and hope we can snipe a big boy 700 yards away. He said, you are my favorite cold popsicle. That's an inside joke. Then the very next text, you know, you're never too old for your kids to need help, right? Hey, can you send me your address in Washington? I need to send my ammo to you. You can't fly ammo to Alaska, <laughs> but they can ship it to your house. I mean... You never get too old to be helping your kids. Our challenge is to have fathers, to be fathers, and to raise future fathers. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist and says he is the Elijah who was to come. This Elijah principle that's birthed in the Old Testament. It's birthed actually when Elijah gets caught up and goes into the next realm and there's chariots of fire and, and horses and, and a whirlwind takes Elijah up. And the deal was Elisha wanted a double portion of Elijah's anointing. And Elijah said, well, if you see me when I go up, you'll get my mantle and you'll have it. And so Elisha, the, men, the mentee, he cries out and he says, my father, my father. And from that moment, this fatherhood Elijah principle is born. And Jesus talks about those verses in Matthew chapter 11. And he's, he says, John the Baptist is the one. He is the Elijah He's not talking about reincarnation. He's talking about this fathering principle. After the Malachi prophecy, there's 400 years of the driest time in the Bible history, Bible period. And then this crazy guy, John the Baptist, come and he comes and he's eating weird things, even more so than Zimmerman on TV and, and honey, locusts and just wild stuff. And, and he's a crazy guy. He preaches hard and, and, and this, this fathering spirit is instituted and flourishes. Matthew eleven thirteen 13 to 17, 
For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, Jesus is talking. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. But to what shall I liken this generation? He said, this generation is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. And they changed their tactics. We mourned to you and you did not lament. Jesus says, how can I liken this generation? He was dealing with some of the same things we deal with today. Jesus is saying, as I look at the leadership of this generation, it is like children wanting to entertain children. A time when fathers need to rise up and pour in. If this, this day now, this is so relevant, this is so prophetic for the times we live in. So many young boys that are males and they grew up but they never became men and jesus says but wisdom is justified by her children i'm so glad for the wisdom we receive from this book amen the holy scriptures and there's power there through the holy spirit to ignite our hearts so who are these people going to be in my life they have names and i want to challenge you to write those names down you know there are times in our lives where God wants us to rely on him, to trust him. We can have all these relationships, but there can be times where we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and we have to be able to discover our strength in Jesus and to find that strength and to strengthen ourselves. In 1 Samuel 30, you can turn there in your Bibles, there's this amazing story of David. Before he is king and it must have been the lowest of lows in his life. He's been on the run from Saul for about 13 years. And the background of this Bible narrative is that one day he was just herding his sheep when all of a sudden somebody comes to get him. And he's just a teenage boy. They, scholars say 13, 14, maybe 15. And they drag him back home. And here's the most famous man, the, the prophet Samuel. And he takes some anointing on. He says this will be the next king because God had rejected Saul and he anoints him to be the next king. I mean, just imagine what's happening there. And it has to remain a secret because if Saul hears of this, that's like treason. And so David one day is there with the military army. He hears the taunts of Goliath and he says, hey, why is this guy mocking our God? God can deliver us from this giant. And he goes out with a sling and some stones and he kills the giant. Saul takes David into his house and the women start singing that old top song that hit all the airwaves and man was downloaded on people's cell phones and listened to over and over again. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands and Saul is infuriated. He's jealous. He starts doing everything to kill David. David's on the run and 1 Samuel 26, the, the camp of Saul is right there about to catch David and and they're asleep at night, and David and Abishai sneak into Saul's camp, and they're right there, and Abishai says, now's your chance. Kill him, take his spear by his head and, and put it through his heart. Take him out. And David says, no. His confidence, my confidence, he said, is in God. I'll let God deal with Saul. I'm gonna do the right thing and do what I need to do, but they took the spear, they take the water jug, and they kind of just taunt him a little bit with that. But the very next chapter, all of a sudden, David, because he's a human, he gets discouraged, and, and he's like, man, Saul's going to kill me. You know, one minute, he's like, hey, I've got confidence, and 
what I've been called to be. And then the next thing, he gets depressed. You know, every one of us, if we get our eyes off of our destiny, man, we can collapse and lose so much in just a moment. And he runs, and he goes to this Philistine king, Achish, the king of Gath, and, and he goes to him and says, hey, I'll be your servant. The king gives him the city of Ziklag, and for a little over a year, about 15, 16 months, David is out pillaging, and, and he raids villages, and the king, the Philistine king says, where did you go? And David lies and says, oh, I went up into Israel and raided this area and that area. And, but the whole time David is raiding all these neighboring people at peace with the Philistines and, and he kills everybody in the village. Doesn't leave anybody there because he can't allow anybody to escape and tell that Philistine king. Imagine the stress David is living under, living a double life, living a lie, yet having this calling on him to become the future king. The day comes where Achish says, all right, you're going with me to battle. We're going to take out Saul and Jonathan. It's gonna be the big fight. If we win, you do good. You're gonna be my bodyguard the rest of your day. And all of a sudden, some of the soldiers said, hey, isn't that the guy they sang? Remember that famous song back in the 70s? And, and man, that's who they were talking about, uh, you know, that song. And King says, okay, David, you gotta go back. He gets back to Ziklag in the town his village, they see the fire and the smoke coming up and the, their families have been taken, nearly 3,000 people, the wives, the children, everything's gone and the men weep like they've never wept till they couldn't weep no more. They begin to discuss killing David. This has got to be the lowest of lows for his life, his worst day, 1 Samuel 36. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Man, we don't know all that David did, but we're running out of time, but I'll tell you this, we know he prayed. He prayed to God. And we know from the Psalms and what he writes that there was things that he did. We know that David was so good at remembering from time to time that calling on his life. We have to review the promises of God for you and I, that's men. That's how we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. David would declare the testimonies of God and the works of God. There's so much power in a testimony. What God has done before, he can do once again. And David discovered his strength that he goes to prayer in God and he, he asked God two questions. He says, shall we pursue and will we overtake them? And God answers with three questions. You will pursue, you will overtake them, and you will surely rescue all. What I love about the story is actually four things happen. Those three things happen of God's answer, but even one more. They get all the stuff that the enemy had. How good is that? They had so much bounty that they end up distributing it to the villages in Judah, and David all of a sudden becomes the king of the tribe of Judah and eventually all of Israel. I believe that there is going to be a restoration for some of you dads that are here today that are watching online. Go to God in prayer. Remember the promises over your life, over your children's lives. Declare the testimonies that you know of God and put your hope and your faith in him. God is a restoring God. Can have the worship team make their way up. Remember years ago, this story of this young boy, about 20 years ago, Jesse Arbogast, and 
he was eight years old swimming in the panhandle of Florida, and when a bull shark came up and got a hold of him, it took a chunk out of his leg, had him by the arm. His uncle sees this, jumps in to the, the ocean and grabs that bull shark by the tail and wrestles and finally pulls it away from that, his little nephew. And, but the arm got dislodged and was in the gullet of the shark. And they, other people pull the boy to shore. A helicopter comes in. They life flayed him because his blood was pouring out to the hospital. And that uncle was so ticked off of what that shark had done. He drags the shark up onto shore. A park ranger comes. They try to pry open the mouth to get the arm back out. They can't quite do it because the shark is thrashing wildly. The park ranger shoots it, I think they said three times, in the head. Then they reach in there, pull the arm out, wrap it in ice, send it in an ambulance to the hospital. The doctors reattach the arm. The boy ends up surviving, even though some issues, it took a, you know, there's lots of years of, of things happening. But I want to tell you, that is the heart of God, and we need men that are going to stand up and believe for the restoration and the recovery of what the enemy has taken. And David strengthened those around himself. How can, we defer, how can we turn defeat into victory? Some action steps for you fathers. We'll put these up on the screen. You'll see these online. We can recall God's promises. We can declare the testimonies of God. We need to get our answers from God. And we can receive strength from the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit it comes from that abiding life with Jesus. Don't have to live in stress or anxiety. We can live from communion with Him. Back in January, I was up, came up for a board meeting, and I was preaching at the Palmer campus, and all kinds of flights were getting messed up with like weather issues and people on strike. And I flew into Seattle and had to make the little hop to Portland. I lived 20 minutes from the Portland airport, and was flying back to do a funeral for one of my longest time friends, one of those peers, brothers in the Lord. We went to Willow Elementary School, went to Bible college together. Him and his wife had moved down to our area and attended church together. And she passed away from COVID and they waited a few months for the funeral till all the family could come. And so he asked me to, you know, do the the service for the funeral, man, the hardest thing, somebody you've known and doing the funeral. And I get to Seattle airport and the flight was messed up. Things got delayed like what Pastor Jonathan dealt with and land at Seattle airport and I look, fortunately, I'd gotten upgraded to, for free to first class. So I was right off the plane right away and I'm at the very end of that newer concourse A, the very last gate. And I got to get all the way over to sea, and I'm like, this ain't good. This is like a half a mile, you know? And uh, I've only got so much time. I'm like, oh, man, there's only a few minutes before they close the gate. And, and I got my carry-on and my briefcase, and I am just, I'm running. And I know I look like I could run a mile in four minutes, but... And I'm running with those bags, and I'm suffering them, you know? Just, and all of a sudden, I see the most beautiful sight one of those long people movers, you know, those like horizontal escalators. And, and man, I was just out of the way, out of the way. And I come running through and I hit that people mover. And all of a sudden I'm running under the power of something greater than me. And it was like a breeze. It was easy. And I'm moving so good. And then it stops and you feel once again, the weight of trying to do something 
in your own strength. And then again, I hit the pe- another people mover and I'm just flying. And then I realize that's really the, you know, when we have the Holy Spirit, it's like that people mover. We're just cruising through. And fortunately, I was able to make that flight and do the service and made it back in time. But I want to tell you, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to stand with me and I want to pray for you as we close this out. And there's going to be a song of worship for you to meditate, dads, on these action steps. And then after that song, uh, we'll close out the service with the prayer team coming up. And so, God, we thank you for your goodness, your grace. Lord, we thank you for your truth that sets us free. We thank you for your empowerment. God, I pray that we as men would have those intentional relationships to be strengthened in our daily walk. God, I pray that we would have that ability like David when he was at the lowest of lows and all he could do was cry out to you and say, God, I need help. God can handle your tough questions. God, let us be like that, even to strengthen the men around us that don't understand those that are wanting to do David harm David even strengthened them Jesus many times uh, an offense can be the uh, can be the back door into our destiny wounds are currency in the kingdom of Jesus Jesus by your stripes we are healed Lord, we're reviewing the promises today over our children, over our families. God, we're declaring your goodness and your testimonies. Jesus, heal our hearts and set us free, and we give you all the praise and all the glory, and we celebrate fathers today and the strength that they display through you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play.